It is around that living word that we are gathered this day, worshiping God and word and sacrament, that living word which reveals itself to us in the engagement between one another, the words on the page, the spirit of God, the community of study and reflection of action, the dynamic nature of God's revelation, so that scripture is not static, but is an evolving and growing thing in our own consciousness. This is so important to remember when we come to passages such as this morning's first reading from the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter, which reminds us of the real meaning, I would suggest, of the Exodus event. Yes, God recognized the plight of the people Israel enslaved in Pharaoh's bondage and heard their cry and saved them, liberated them from Egypt. But more importantly than the salvation from Egypt is the salvation for the higher purpose to which God was calling the people Israel to be a nation that was founded on justice and mercy, equity, developing an ethical society, a place where the needs of all concerned are held up and the needs of the least among us are rightfully met by those who have more. An equalizing of human society, the redress of grievances, the treatment of each other with human decency, kindness, and compassion. In a very real way, the words of the Ten Commandments, no, it's not the ten suggestions to consider carefully, it's not the ten options that we can choose to exercise or not, they are the Ten Commandments, or more rightly translated, the Ten Teachings, which are an expression not of some kind of external code of conduct. It's not a moral code that's laid upon us. It's a revelation of God's will, which is shown in the fact that God has reached into the depths of human depravity. There's nothing more depraved in human history than the holding of one person enslaved by another. The dehumanization. The God who reaches into that reaches into our lives with a new and different vision of how to be. The commandments, the teachings are given not as a rod by which we might be tried and tested and if found wanting, beaten. The teachings, the commandments are a light for our path to show us how to live. And that when we fail to follow the teachings, the consequences we suffer are the natural consequences of running afoul of God's dream for us, not an arbitrarily administered punishment, but a moment of our own awakening to the reality of the foolishness of our lives. So the Ten Commandments are ripe for reflection. Uh, during this season of Lent, as Jesus asked himself in the desert during the 40 days of his trial and temptation, we call it, his inner discernment, his quest for understanding, what does it mean to be the Christ following his baptism? So our 40 days of traveling in the wilderness 
called Lent is an occasion to ask ourselves, how shall we be followers? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And today, what does it mean to be the Church of Christ? God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, who brought thee out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord thy God, capital L, capital O, capital I, capital D. A representation of the name of God revealed to Moses in the burning bush when Moses asked who God was and God replied, well, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your mothers, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, Zilpah, Bilhah. And then Moses says the temerity to ask, yes, but what is your name? Because to know the name of a deity in the ancient world and indeed in our own time, to know the name of a person is to give yourself in a sense a deep intimacy with that person, almost in contact with the power of who they are. And so he asks God, what is your name? Moses is courageous, if nothing else. And God replies, I am who I am. I am the ground of being. I am beingness itself. I am who I was. I am who I am. I am who I will be. I am beingness itself. The four letters in Hebrew, Y-H-W-H, a name so holy that mere mortals must not speak it aloud, represented by the Lord, the God Almighty. I am the Lord thy God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is the basic premise of the commandments, that God has saved Israel, recognized the needs, the deep human need, the cries, the pain, the sorrow, the suffering of the people. And God calls us to a life like that. You shall not have any other gods before me. As in our opening hymn, drunk with the wine of the world, we go following after false idols. You shall not make unto thee any graven image, no idols to worship, not following after this or that fancy, but relying always upon God. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You shall not make use of God's name for your own selfish design and purposes, but to treat the name of God, I am who I am, is the foundation for our own lives. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I love it when you go down the street and somebody's got the Ten Commandments on a lawn sign in their front yard, a white background, blue ink, and it's a Sunday afternoon and the person's mowing the lawn. I remember Art and Helen McLaren 
at the Payson Park Church in Belmont, Massachusetts, where we lived before coming to Fairfieldton, how upset Helen would be when her neighbor would hang out her laundry on Sunday afternoon, a day of rest to reflect upon the goodness of God who makes and gives all things to us. You shall honor your father and your mother, your stand on the shoulders of giants, the generations who have come before you. You shall not murder, wrongful taking of life. You shall not commit adultery. You honor your commitments that you make. You shall not steal. And actually in the Hebrew, the verb that's used is not just for the general term stealing, but it's stealing human beings. Because in much of the warfare of the ancient world, the goal was to capture the vanquished foe and make them your slave. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house nor your neighbor's spouse or anything that is your neighbor's. Some people say, oh, the Ten Commandments, they're so negative. Well, yes, they are. Because God has done a heuristic search with humanity up until this point and has discovered the paths that people follow that lead them to ruin. And as God is putting up warning signs, instructions, guardrails to help us stay in a path that is like the path that God has set for us. I will walk in the paths of righteousness O God, for thy name's sake. This really, of course, is the foundation of uh, who we are as Christians. When Jesus is asked what is the greatest commandment, he gives the summation that comes from Deuteronomy 6, you shall honor and serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, which is a summary of Deuteronomy 20, Exodus 20. And then, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, from Leviticus chapter 19. And then, this great vision that's portrayed in the cleansing of the temple by Jesus from the second chapter of John. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus' cleansing of the temple takes place in the last week of his life, in John, it comes in the very beginning, in chapter 2. And it's the chronology of John that leads us to believe that Jesus' ministry lasted three years because he went up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival three times. So the Passover was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple, he found the people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and the money changers were seated at the table. Now, the temple in question was the rebuilding of the temple by Herod the Great, known as the Great because of his massive building efforts. And he was rebuilding the second temple, finished by Ezra and Nehemiah following the return from the Babylonian exile. The job had already been underway for 40 years. That's how big a job this was. And in the temple, there are various courts. The outer court is the court of the Gentiles. Anybody 
can go there. And that's where this selling and changing of money would take place because it was necessary for people coming to the temple to have the animals prescribed for the sacrifice that they were to offer. And they had to pay for those animals using the currency of the temple, not Roman coins. So they had to change their money. It's like when you're flying from here to Europe, you have to change your money into euros. So this outer court is available for anybody, but it's become a marketplace. And then beyond that, there's the court of the women, which is to say Jewish men and women both may enter. And then there's the court of the men, and then there's the court of the priests, and then inside that is the court of the Holy of Holies, the inner temple, the inner sanctum, the Ark of the Covenant upon which God would sit. And it's just this outer courtyard that all this activity is underway. And the people engaged in that commerce don't think they're doing anything wrong. They're doing it for the temple. They're doing it so people can practice their faith. They're doing it so they can fulfill their religious obligations. Reminds me a little bit of the days when we're actually in the building and we leave worship and as we go to the coffee hour, there's a possibility to buy this or support that, exchange money for this, you know, out there in the connector corridor, we call it. That's like the court of the Gentiles. That's the marketplace. Good luck, woe to the pastor who goes out there with a cord of whips. So making a cord of whips, Jesus drove them all out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changes, overturned their tables, and he told those who were selling the doves, get these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so the, the religious leaders said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? What authority do you have? And Jesus replied, destroy this temple, which has now been under construction for 40 years, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. The Jewish leaders, the religious leaders then said, well, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you're going to raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. What does it mean to be the Christian church? It means to call to our minds and reflect honestly and candidly about the nature of our life in all times. All of our practices, Policies seem to be consistent, but are they fully? Are there attitudes and entitlements? Are there priorities and positions which are really consistent with the gospel? When we match up our own personal lives and the life of our congregation, 
to the vision that God has for the people of God articulated in the ten words, the ten teachings, the commandments of God given to Moses at Sinai, how we really are on track to be God's people. That's why Lent is such an important and, frankly, life-giving season, because it gives us the opportunity, invites us to take the opportunity to reflect honestly upon the priorities of our individual lives and the priorities of our congregation and the ways in which we are living our lives both together and in our own homes and families. Those who see and know us in the community, will they, by their experience of us, gain a clearer vision of God's presence in the world? Like Jesus, we will come to a Gethsemane of our own when he asks, let this cup pass from me. This way is hard. I would rather go another, but he says not my will, but thine be done. In the same way, we ought to go into our own Gethsemane and ask what God would have us do and be. And when the way we perceive is had, well, the loss of following it would be great. To pass, ask that this cup may pass from us, but then to conclude, not my will, but thine be done. Those on this Pettus Bridge and those who stood on the bridge at the Amistad and those who stood before the Supreme Court of the United States asked those very same questions and answered. And in their affirmative answer, they prepared a road for us to follow that we may truly live as the Church of Christ. Amen.